After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to my feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. And whoever rejects you, rejects me. And whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The word of the Lord. I know this might sound kind of weird coming from your pastor, but there have been a few Sundays, not today, by the way, but there have been a few Sundays, just a few, in my 14 years here that I haven't wanted to be here. Now, a couple have been because I was hobbling around and probably wanted to be in bed with ibuprofen and a distracting movie. I can remember a time when I had a dislocated rib and was sort of walking around here like this. But there have been a couple of times as well, if I have to admit it, when I've just not been feeling it. I don't know if you've ever come to worship or maybe been dragged to worship when you just didn't want to be there. There's kind of a cloud over you, perhaps, something like that. But I can say without a doubt that on those occasions, I have never left worship with the same feeling. My out-the-door in other words, out of my house, out the door, has been very different from my coming back in the door. And not because my feelings were manipulated in worship or not because they were covered up, you know, don't worry, be happy sort of thing, but rather because there is something about what we do in this place when we gather. 
in worship and at other times as well, but especially at worship, that not only recenters our lives and our collective life together, but it also sets a pattern for every other day of the week. Now, perhaps you've experienced that same feeling, as if the cloud around you cannot survive God's word of grace and truth. If the dust of it is washed off in the baptismal waters as we confess our faith, or if it is somehow chased out of you as you take in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, there isn't room for that anymore as he recenters us and fills us. I think sometimes from the outside, it can seem like worship is just a ritual that is like this mandate from God. As if we come and we sort of do our time here for an hour or so, and then we check the box and we get our gold star, you know, for the week. Or perhaps it seems like we sort of crawl through the week, barely making it back to Sunday, where we finally can come here and get sort of a booster shot so that we can crawl back in to the rest of, or to another week and do that again and again. And while I will say that worship is certainly full of ritual, hopefully ritual that is meaningful and life-giving, and while worship can be an oasis in a very tough and chaotic world, I wonder if we might see our worship together not just as something we do on Sunday, but as a model for our everyday life. Not an escape from it, entirely at least, or a ticket to the afterlife through some saying of the right words or doing of the right things, but a way of living and a way of being for our everyday life. This week, of course, tomorrow in fact, we celebrate independence and those who wished for our nation to be a model, of the, to be a model for the world of a democratic republic to be a light to other nations. Well, maybe it wouldn't hurt for us on this day to see how our worship works in a similar way, giving us and others freedom to live. I bring all of that up because our gospel today gives us a clue into what that might look like. And if you will, I'd like for you to notice in our gospel for today just how much this mission from Jesus looks like worship. Now, a few chapters before our gospel today, Jesus had sent out the 12 on kind of a mini mission. And now Jesus sends out somewhere around 35 or so pairs of people. Men for sure, but also we think women as well. Those who have been following him and supporting this ministry. Now, I want you to think about Jesus' ministry with them. What do you know about the stories of Jesus and his community? Think about that and kind of lay that against our worship life together. Jesus had been teaching them. He had been giving them his word. They had been eating together and even celebrating together. In fact, Jesus and his disciples are criticized for eating and drinking. How dare they be joyful? Go to weddings and things like that. Now, I can't imagine that also with that, there isn't some music and some 
praise and singing together. Now they have also been welcoming all kinds of outsiders, all kinds of people who are in the mainstream and on the fringes and bringing them into the community. In fact, in the early church, one of the draws that, that there was for that early Christian community, why it grew so quickly, was because they didn't seem to have a gatekeeper for who could be in. And in our worship, neither do we. If you walk through that door, you are welcome. They have been praying together. Jesus gives a model for that again and again, but they have been praying together as well. He teaches them how to pray, and we practice that prayer, our Lord's Prayer, every week as well. They've also been practicing forgiveness with one another and and with, with others outside that community as they draw others in. They've been practicing healing among each other and those around them. They live in a community that practices and shares peace not only within that community but outside of it as well. In other words, in their daily life, they've been doing very much what we do here in our worship together. And you may say, well, that's great. Let's just all quit our jobs and wander around the Sea of Salish in our sandals and our robes, right? And hopefully... Jesus will show up because he seems to be kind of a key part to all of this. But then comes our gospel for today. The community has welcomed others. They have multiplied their members. They have been fed with the word. They have experienced healing and forgiveness in all kinds of unexpected ways. They've been fed with the word that has transformed their lives. Promises of God proclaimed to them once again. They've experienced healing and forgiveness. And whether that has been walking with Jesus in the first century or sitting in the pew where you are sitting now, it is very much the same. And what happens next? They are sent out, out without Jesus with them. And what is their mission? To exegete the charismatic soteriology of the gospel message? To pontificate on the homoousius of the Trinitarian doctrine? Well, in a sense, yes, actually, if you kind of dig into those words, although I'm not sure that second one even made sense. But it's not some complicated or fancy or, you know, kind of, kind of highbrow ivory tower theology that they're sent out with. But it is powerful. The mission is to proclaim Christ's peace. That's it. Proclaim Christ's peace. The mission is something, in other words, that anyone in this room right now can do. Anyone that was following Jesus at that time could do. Proclaim Christ's peace. And and it's something that everyone in this room needs to hear, to have proclaimed and promised to them. It's something that everyone in this world needs proclaimed and promised to them. And again, notice how the pattern of their mission reflects our worship today. They carry nothing but Jesus. What power do you need? What education? What great knowledge? What gifts? That's the wrong question. Whom do you need? That's the right question. Jesus alone, Christ alone, and his word of promise alone. One of the things that I love about how we start our worship is that we begin with confession. I think it's unique in our culture. 
We're kind of filled with, you can do anything you set your mind to. You, you can do, it's all in your power. Pull yourself up. Do this, do that. And some of those messages can be very positive and encouraging. But one of the things I love about coming to this font at the beginning of our worship and beginning with that, uh, that confession and that, that proclamation of forgiveness is that all my pride and my puffed upness get drowned. This is a place of dying and rising. And all of that gets drowned. My riches, my ego, all of that's drowned here. And I'm raised with Christ alone as my strength and alone as my hope and alone as my peace. And that peace I am given to share. An underrated part of our worship, I would say, is when we share the peace with one another. Because what we are doing is actually proclaiming to someone, may your life be whole and complete. May your mind and your body and your spirit be healed and whole again in the name of Christ. And we are inviting them to be connected with us as their sibling in Christ as well. Thankfully, our perfect world doesn't need that message, right? <laughs> Just as Jesus' world was chaotic, so ours is as well. And they are sent out with this message of peace. They are also to share in the food and welcome the hospitality of others. They are to be vulnerable, but they are also to be connected. They are to listen, but they are also to share the word of God, of Christ, in their story. Entering into the very daily life and routine of other people. Now, we know there must have been rejection. We know that they must have at times had to dust their feet off and move on, pick themselves up from the dust, perhaps even. But when they return, that doesn't seem to be the point of their story. That doesn't seem what they're talking about. When they return, just like we do Sunday after Sunday, their focus is on what God has done with them as simple people proclaiming a powerful promise. And Jesus' response is so interesting to me. It seems like such a simple thing to be sent out and proclaim Christ's peace to others. A message that we need. A message that our world needs. But when they come back, Jesus starts to talk about these incredible kind of cosmic events that are happening. In this mission, he says, I have seen Satan falling from heaven. And you as my people carrying this promise are treading on scorpions and snakes now i know i saw a story on this one time i know there's a church or there was a church i don't know if anybody's still alive there but there was a church down in texas where they would drink poison and they would take these rattlesnakes and they would kiss them on the nose or whatever and that was how they kind of interpreted this plus there's another kind of extra verse in mark that that kind of speaks to this but where do we have a serpent in the bible where do we have the poison uh, the poison word, not the life-giving word that we have from Jesus, but where do we have this kind of poisonous word in, emitting from a serpent? In the story of Genesis, right? In that temptation, in that original sin, in that turning inwards, and in that relying on our own ego and our own sense of, of how we would execute justice in the world. And we don't need God anymore. In this proclamation of peace and in wholeness, in this sharing of, of community and of table fellowship, in the sharing of story and the proclamation of Christ's story, that serpent is tread upon 
That serpent falls from heaven. That serpent is put to death. Jesus' disciples will see that fully, of course, in his death and resurrection, but they practice it even now. And Jesus can already see the power of of his word exercised in that community. And it is something that we carry into this day as well. While those around us may say, well, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, we can say, well, we proclaim Christ crucified and risen. We proclaim peace and wholeness that is promised and lived out by God in the flesh for us. And in that message, we see hell being trampled upon and falling from its powerful place into a place of insignificance, into a place that submits and yields to God's word, God's hope, God's promise, and God's peace. A message for which we are the missionaries and for which out there is the mission field. Seventy has become millions, has become even a billion of Christians in this world. And there is a message for us to proclaim, thanks be to God in Christ, who has given us that promise and that word. Amen.